Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, I would like to welcome my guest, Wendy Adlerstein, who is a licensed social worker and gerontologist. She's had more than 20 years of experience in working with seniors. And currently, she is the executive director and co-owner of First Light Home Care of West Suburban Boston. She is here today to talk about having the conversation about aging and the next chapter. So clearly, my lovely audience, this is going to be a very deep discussion. But you know me, I'm ready to dive in. Hello, Wendy. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is such a pleasure to have you on to talk about such a complicated and difficult but necessary subject. It is definitely all of those things. You you put it very well. It's necessary, also a growing topic. I think that's affecting many people. Can you start off by just telling us a little bit about you and your and the work that you do? My background is uh, social work, and um, I actually do have um, a specialty that I've worked in the field of aging and gerontology my whole career, focused mostly on the field of home care, and that branches off sometimes into other directions and, of course, gives me perspectives in many different pieces of the, the field of aging. Currently, I am, as you mentioned, the executive director and co-owner of First Light Home Care of West Suburban Boston, which is a private, non-medical home care agency, part of a franchise nationally. And we provide private home care to primarily seniors in the community, uh, people who are living in either private homes or possibly assisted livings or even nursing facilities, giving them caregivers for one-on-one care. So that is our specialty here at First Light Home Care. So let's segue into having the conversation about aging and the next chapter. This is a difficult conversation to have, to navigate for many emotional reasons, for technical reasons. So how do you begin to approach this minefield with families? So it is certainly a a very big conversation. uh, And I think that every family member uh, comes in at a different stage when talking to people about this topic. Uh, this this topic of caregiving, family caregiving, affects all kinds of people. It could be adult children, could be aunts and um, nieces and nephews for their aunts and uncles, could be friends and family, close people in somebody's life, could be a spouse. You know, there's many different people who are in the role of caregiving, but affected differently. Mm-hmm. So when you're diving into a conversation about this uh, issue. You really have to look at the perspective of the person and where the caregiver is at and also where the actual aging loved one is at as well. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate differing opinions among siblings? So if it's adult children, how does that come Mm -hmm. into play? Yeah, well, that's a common one. You know, you see adult children with different different feelings on different situations Mm -hmm. with different uh, opinions. Sometimes you see 
somebody who believes that mom should absolutely not be in her own home alone or even with care in the home, that they should be moving to another uh, environment or some type of other living situation, whereas others feel that their loved one should remain in the house no matter what because that's what mom wants. Sometimes the issue is around finances and money. Some feel that money should be absolutely spent on care and whatever is best for parents. And others feel that, you know, money should be saved and uh, for different reasons. So you really come across all kinds of opinions. And it does. It gets tricky. And sometimes it's about hearing from each family member to get their input. Um, There actually are professional mediators out there who can work with families who are in these types of disputes or disagreements to kind of get everyone in the same room and talk about where they're coming from and try to come to some kind of middle ground because it can get that complicated. Does it help then, would you say, to make sure that the parent has something written in place before getting to, and has been very clear about having a conversation with the adult children before getting to this place where emotions are high and there's uncertainty and many opinions are being offered? Well, you really bring up an excellent topic because planning is key and having conversations early and doing research early before a crisis makes a world of difference. Um, I think that it's important, if you can, for families to get together and really talk to the actual individual who is at the center of the the, the situation to find out what are their wishes, mm-hmm. what do what does that person want, and um, actually, there's a booklet out there called the Five Wishes which um, can be found and, and can be a good tool where people can, you know, actually write down some of these answers to some of the questions that people may not think about. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, it's just the conversation of understanding even the basics. Where does somebody want to be as they age? Do they feel strongly about being in their own home? Do they have strong feelings about how they want to be cared for? Planning, who should be their healthcare proxy? Who should be their power of attorney? Should that person not be able to make decisions for themselves anymore? This should all be, you know, these legal documents are, are key because if they're not done, they then it can create huge issues and the person and the family both all suffer. What about when a sibling feels like she or he is carrying more of the load in the caregiver role, whether it's based on rifts in the family or a geographical distance. What is your advice when it comes to handling that? Yeah, well, we we see that quite a bit. Um, I mean, quite often the adult daughter takes a heavy piece of the load, but it can go either way. Um, We just commonly seem tend to see that happen. However, it does, you know, no matter who it is that's taking a heavier load, um, that's something that can cause resentment and frustration. One thing that I see quite often that family members will do, which works very well, is everybody sort of takes a different piece 
of the caring. Um, and that can be divided up sometimes even based on location of where the family members live. Maybe um, a daughter lives very close to mom or dad and they can be the ones to be doing the legwork, you know, of going to visit or maybe bringing groceries or even arranging care or looking at places for mom or dad to go. Whereas like another family member who may live far away could possibly be responsible for the financial piece and uh, overseeing paying the bills, which can be done remotely, or maybe making calls. A lot of times here at our home care agency, we get calls from people who say, well, I'm out of state, but I'm doing all the research. I'm doing all the phone calls to find out more about home care or to find out more about um, transportation, you know, things that can be done by phone. So okay. figuring out a way to divide uh, the roles and responsibilities, I think, makes everyone feel better. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. What about options for safe places to age? That's a hot button topic, too. So whether you're aging at home or an assisted living facility or whether you have a, in that assisted living facility, a solo room or a senior roommate, what factors should we consider? Yeah, big, another big topic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but very um, broadly, I mean, there, you know, there's different, different stages, I think that can come about, which can help navigate a little bit um, in terms of what to do. Again, I think some of this goes back to the wishes of the individual and where they want to age and how things will go. But primarily, um, we hear more and more today that people want to age in their own homes, um, that they would like to stay there. There's an emotional attachment to the house. They're familiar with their community um, and what's nearby. And so um, staying at home is a definite option. And... um, as somebody gets older, if there are things that come up that they may not be able to do things as well as they used to independently, they can have some a little bit of help come in. Home care is a big, a big help. Uh, you know, it's a caregiver who can come and help with meal preparation and laundry and do some grocery shopping, take someone to doctor's appointments, help with maybe safely taking a shower. Uh, or um, just even safety supervision. We see a lot of that where people have trouble with, you know, stability walking with a walker and have somebody who's trained to walk with them, make sure that they're not going to fall, that kind of thing. So being in the home is definitely doable. And we in home care help people throughout the entire course of you know, to, to the end, actually, we do everything from a little bit of a few hours a day, all the way up through 24-7 and hospice care. And so home care and being at home can be a very doable option if that's the, the wish of the person and, and the family and everybody can, can bring that together. So there are different options then in terms of affordability in those options that you just described? Yes. So there are certainly different, everybody's situation is different, of course. And there are programs out there, you know, that can assist. Well, it it starts with private. There's the private sector where if somebody can afford to pay privately, that's one option for home care. But then people um, may not be able to afford 
private care. And it's really up to that person and their family to look into what are the options in their community that may be able to help. There are lots of subsidized programs that may be able to give a little assistance. And of course, you know, spending down to get on Medicaid, that gives even more sometimes assistance with home care and other services. The same thing kind of goes for assisted living in the sense that sometimes people feel that, uh, you know, home may not end up being the right place for them long term. And the benefits of assisted living, uh, it's a place where obviously you get housing and meals because there's usually dining rooms. You get a little bit of care in the morning, typically, and a little bit of care in the evening just to sort of help with those routines and socialization. That's a big mm-hmm. one in the assisted living that you get if you're, you know, you get activities, you're around other people. Um, it's a lot less isolating. So assisted living is, is a positive in that regard. And again, it's the same kind of situation financially. Um, many of them are private pay. However, it's definitely worth exploring in the community that you live in if there's other resources out there um, that can assist with, with assisted living. How would you address the different levels of quality? So assisted livings, they're popping up everywhere. Nursing homes and long-term care facilities are actually becoming less available. No matter what kind of place you're looking at, I would say it's just like anything else. Do your homework. Go on tours. Um, There's always people at these places that are more than happy to give a tour Spend some time, maybe ask to eat, you know, have a meal there. Take your time, look around. What are you seeing? Is the place clean? What are the rooms like? Uh, What does it smell like? Getting to know, maybe asking the place if they have a reference that they can give you to call a family member who has experience from a facility that can maybe talk to you a little bit about their experience. Each one is so different not only with just the way they look, but culturally, it could come down to religion. And maybe that's a piece that some places focus on more than others in different religions or cultures. So the the key is to just do the homework and plan ahead so that you're not making that decision of a move in a crisis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Looping back to that idea again. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. Okay, my next question. This is something that I'm paraphrasing from, I believe it's on your website, home safety for seniors. A home can become a gauntlet for seniors. From that idea, what modifications are helpful in making the home safer and more age-friendly? If somebody's going to age at home in their own private home, this is definitely something to pay a lot of attention to because Without the safety precautions, it's, it, is, it is sort of can be a recipe for disaster. Some of the things to, the simple things to look at are taking a look around at trip hazards, for example. A lot of people like to have scatter rugs, and th- but those can be a problem as you get older. Um, your walking sometimes tends to be a little different. You might shuffle a little more. You might have a walker, which can get caught on those things. May I interject Um, here just for a moment? (laughs) Simply because this is not an uncommon concern. Clutter and hoarding and getting rid of excess things that are in the pathway for safety reasons. 
I'm sure you see this commonly. Yes. Yeah. I think this is the human condition. Um, I think that a lot of people do. They, you know, especially if you've lived somewhere a very long time, you've accumulated things over the years and and they're sentimental. There's emotional Mm -hmm. attachment and value, which is very hard to part with. So, you know, thinking about trying to clean out a little bit is a great idea thinking about, you know, even in small steps, making small piles of, you know, this is the definite giveaway pile. This is the, I'm going to save this no matter what pile. This is the maybe pile, you know, and starting to just do it a little bit at a time can start the process for the safety issue. Just in general, you know, cords around the house that may be loose, you know, stoves that may not be safe, um, you know, just looking at general things that could cause hazards. Um, Mm -hmm. Stairs, rickety stairs, steep stairs. stairs. Absolutely. Yes. And you can get now, I mean, you can get stair lifts, you know, that can go up and down to help somebody on the stairs. I I think railings on both sides of the steps are helpful to Mm -hmm. install. You know, and and wearing proper shoes around the house, even something like that. And the bathroom, of course, is another place that can have a lot of risk. Making sure you have rails in there to hold on to. Yes, yes. Um, You know, there's so much now you can get the nice, you know, grab bars installed that blend in or, you know, some other piece of towel rack or something like that. But they're sturdy and they're good for holding on to. Um, having a chair in the tub can help or a handheld shower that just helps you kind of, you know, maneuver easily, easier, raised toilet seats. If, if somebody has trouble getting up and down off a toilet, um, you know, they make things now that can just go right over the toilet mm-hmm. helps so much with people who have balance issues and, um, you know, difficulty with low chairs and things. My students who are listening know that we talk about this quite a bit and we do a lot of strengthening exercises for the lower body to make sure they still have the stamina and the form to get up and down out of chairs and off of seats, low seats, higher seats, that type of thing. So making sure exercise, I have to yeah. put that in oh, yes. <laughs> as a responsible I teacher. That, I love it. Yeah, yes. Exercising <laughs> is extremely important to keep up. It is. And no doubt about it. There's so much research now that shows how important exercise and stretches and yoga and everything just makes such a difference with balance and stamina and strength and core. I mean, it just, so really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Well, it's my jam. It's what makes (laughs) my heart beat when I, uh, I don't even call it work. So yeah, that's that's great. (laughs) That's great. That's fantastic. When do you know your loved one is in trouble and needs to reassess and think about other options? Definitely a great topic and a big one. Uh, So I think that sometimes if we're seeing people on a regular basis, it it sometimes can even be harder to detect if changes are happening. We see a lot of times people like a family member who doesn't visit often might come in around now, like around the holidays and they haven't seen mom or dad for a long time. And there's things that they notice right away. Um, but the, the stuff that really you're looking at is, is very sort of environmental and also personal. Um, some of it is literally looking at the house that they're in. 
Um, how does the house seem? What is the condition? Is the person keeping up with the maintenance of the house? Are there things um, that seem like different you know, maybe the, per- the person used to be on top of all their paperwork and pay their bills, but you walk in the house and you notice that those things are piling up on the kitchen table now um, and, you know, mail isn't being read. That could be an indicator um, that something's going on. Noticing uh, anything to do with balance, as we've been discussing, I think that's a huge thing. Uh, you know, looking at is the person walking okay are they a fall risk? Another topic in itself around, is it safe for someone to be driving and how do you handle that? But if you notice that the person's car has a few extra dings on it, or maybe you go for a ride with them while they're driving and that kind of makes you a little nervous, you know, uh, that's a sign that maybe something should be looked at there. What advice would you give to caregivers about dealing with their loved one's resistance to changing her or his way of life and accepting help? Resistance is a big one. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm just, I just haven't put, I didn't give you any light questions today. I know. <laughs> That's okay. Because, you know, these, these are the things that are real. Like, this is real. <laughs> um, and I think that a lot of times people don't, First of all, people don't want help. Uh, You know, everybody, I think it's just the human condition. Everybody wants to remain independent. And it's very hard to accept um, when you might need a little bit of help. The other piece that comes into play is if somebody has dementia. Um, We have a lot of clients that we work with and families. The clients have, you know, some form of dementia And it's even harder for them to have the insight into themselves to say, I'm needing help, that I'm not okay. The people around know that the person could really benefit from having help in the home or maybe a different change, you know, of living environment. Um, But the key is, I think, to start small and to really introduce the idea in a very small way, maybe offer just to meet a caregiver, have them come once, you're, you know, really saying things that let the person know that this is something to try. Nobody's forcing this on you. No, it's, it's that you, you should at least see what it's like. Try to, you know, just give it a try for a couple of visits or something. A lot of times that helps the person feel like they're not signing up for something for life. They're just going to agree to try it once. And when they meet a caregiver, that kind of changes the mystique around the whole thing because now they actually have a person that they've met and the relationship can form. It can seem like this is something almost like being in a hospital where you just get the nurse that's on shift that comes in and you really don't have any choice necessarily. But in this case, it can be empowering, right? To interview the caregiver and decide, is there chemistry? Do I like this person? Do they understand me? And that it is going to be a relationship of a sort. Yes. And, and, and it really can be a, a really nice relationship. And, I, and that's a, that becomes a comfort level for the person receiving the care because they actually start to look forward to having somebody, that person come, um, you know, especially if they're living in a house and socialization, you know, isn't as prevalent. And so they, they 
you know, look forward to having this person come. It's, it's, it's social, it's socialization, but it's also assistance with the things that they might need a little help with. Um, so that's a real benefit that comes with having someone come into the home. But I think people struggle sometimes with knowing that that can happen. They just kind of hear, oh, help coming in. And there's like an immediate shutoff of re- yeah. resistance starts. So, so starting small and trying to kind of encourage that idea of meeting somebody helps with the resistance piece. Why is it important for caregivers to take care of themselves? The role of being a caregiver as a family member or or a friend can uh, really take a toll. I think people who haven't done that type of care or they haven't been in that situation don't realize how much it really, how much energy and time and stress um, it can take. So you really, you know, somebody in that situation should just make sure that they're taking, that they're really taking time to care for themselves, take breaks, and they should ask for help too. Um, I don't, I think that don't try to be a martyr. Don't try to do it all on your own. Try to create a structure around yourself of resources and supports so that you can really um, take some time for yourself. Yeah, because I'm sure it can feel very isolating too, especially if you feel bogged down by your responsibilities. And it's very easy then to start to form a pattern of forgetting about yourself. And then you don't remember that you can draw boundaries to be effective. So here's a really simple example, because I just had an interaction with a really beautiful woman this week. We had a a moment, an, an opportunity to do a private 30-minute yoga practice together. She is a caregiver of an adult son and who has uh, disabilities, uh, and she was finding it very difficult to find a place to begin to have some me time and take care of herself. So even the idea of just taking 30 minutes once a week to start was just revolutionary for her. Yeah, that that's a great story. And it's true. I, if you just start the practice of, of taking a little time, whether it's starting like 30 minutes a day, you do build it in, you know, and you realize how how important and how much of an impact that will have on on your daily life. Because the more you do something, the more it becomes natural and and you can find ways. Yeah. And even making small signals to the other people in your life, like, I'm going to close the door now and I'll be in here for 30 minutes. Right. Unless if there's an emergency, please don't bother me right now. Yeah. I need this time. Right. And setting, setting that expectation and boundary um, and being firm and telling, yeah, telling other people that that's what you're doing and that you are going to stick to that. Wendy, I am so grateful for all of the tips and advice you shared on such an important topic. So my final question to you today is, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Being healthy 
I think there are many aspects to that. And in some ways, it may be, it is a very personal definition because it encompasses different pieces of a person. There's the physical health, the emotional well-being, spiritually. So all of those come into play. But I think overall, nurturing all pieces of yourself and doing the best you can, finding purpose every day. And sometimes it's easier than other times, you know, depending on your personal situation. But um, that's probably the best definition that I could give. Perfect. As you said, it is personal and it really depends on how you look at it and what works for you. Absolutely. And now it's time for practical tips. This is a call to action today. First. Have you had the conversation with your loved ones about making plans for choosing options to live safely in the golden years? Second, if so, is everyone on your team on the same page? And who's in charge? Is that clear? Three, if you are a caregiver, what are your struggles? Please share any questions, comments, or concerns you may have regarding this complex subject that we covered today with me. You can reach me at my email, yogimd at yogimd.net, or jump onto my website, yogimd.net, and go to the contact page. Or you can make comments on my Facebook page, which is yogimd. Or you can find me on Instagram and make comments there. Let's keep having this discussion. It's too important. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information, resources, and make sure you don't wait until a situation is dire and emotions are running high before making critical decisions for the ones you love. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. The next time you are faced with having a difficult conversation, take the time to really listen with the intent to understand. Don't interrupt. If you feel the urge to do so, try this. Stop. Drop your shoulders. Relax your jaw. Loosen your hands. Inhale deeply through your nose expanding your belly. Exhale slowly through your nose, feeling your belly relax. Repeat until you feel calm. Thanks for being here. See you next time. 